0: we'll we'll jump in. I know up here, just kind of the nature of speaking, you hear a lot of different stories about me, but I want to talk about my wife for a second. Um, She's back there right now, like, oh boy, where is this going? So my wife Kathy, uh, just to kind of illustrate the type of woman she is, she's a hunter. We're a hunting family, and and uh, but the nature of our family is the the during rifle season, that kind of the guys go up and hang out and do that kind of a thing, and and Kathy gets left behind. And so this past year. She filled that time during the opening week of rifle season by working at a deer processing place uh, kind of up north of here. And uh, she had an amazing job at this place. She was one of the first people that people would interact with when they bring their deer, got to hear all their stories. And so her job was to cut the head off of every deer that came in and pass it on to the, to the butchers to do their thing. And she loved it. like it was her favorite thing. and it was really crazy. Like I showed up one day, and every deer she did it, she would do this evil laugh. every hundreds of deer like, ha, ha ha!" No, that's a total lie. That's not, that's not part of it. The job part was real. The evil laugh was not real. Um, and uh, so it was, it was great. She, she had a good time with it. We're not that messed up as a, of a family. Um we're a little bit messed up like that as a family, but not completely messed up like that. So she, she enjoyed the week, but she got to the second to last day, and I don't know if just got distracted or careless or what, but, but the knife that she was using slipped and kind of gouged the top of her thumb. Now, in the moment, kind of like, ah, man, that, 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 that hurts, not, but, but not a huge deal, right? Until she's like, oh, I, at the very least, I should go get this cleaned out. So she went to urgent care and urgent care said, shouldn't be a problem, you're going to be fine, it's just a, just a surface wound, not a big deal. But she got home and discovered, okay, couldn't bend it forward, couldn't bend it backwards. Basically, the, the two things that thumbs actually do, her thumb would not do. And so she scheduled an appointment with her regular doctor who immediately was like, yeah, there, there's an issue here. So they took a closer look and she had severed the tendon on top of her thumb. So she, they had to schedule a surgery to go in and dig that thing out and pull it out. If you're a non-hunter, non-blood person this morning, you're like, we're not coming back to this church. This is ridiculous. Um, so I, is what it is. So they, they had to fix that. So surgery led to several weeks of cast and then several weeks of physical therapy after that to, re, to restore the motion to the thumb. It was kind of an interesting thing to observe that for her, the healing process, that, that physical therapy was actually more painful and, and there was more discomfort than the actual injury itself because it just happened quick and wasn't that big of a deal. And, and kind of a theme as she interacted with different people through the process. Every doctor, every nurse, every therapist that she interacted with kind of started at the same spot. They went back to the beginning and said, what happened? How, how did this, uh, what caused this issue? Or here, hey, this is what we found was wrong. And once they discovered that, once they established that, it became, okay, now let's fix the issue. Every person Every new step in the process started with an acknowledgment that something is off. Something's not right. Something is not as it was. Something is not as it should be. And now that we've addressed that, let's make it right. That's the same important process for a lot of things in life. Health issues, car issues, mechanical issues, engineering issues, accounting issues. You guys come across things like that in your careers. Uh, Parent-child discipline issues even employee issues or losing streaks in sports. It has to begin with that conversation, as difficult as it is. When something is broken, when something is out of order, we have to start with an honest acknowledgement that something is wrong. Because no matter how painful that process is, it's 100% necessary to begin the healing. And what we find is that this isn't just how life works. It's how God works. And today we're going to look at a very well-known person in the New Testament who experienced this in a very difficult way and yet a very powerful way. And I want you to know if you walked in here and you're experiencing anything less than perfect in your life, I think it can be a powerful process for us as well. So we're going to jump in. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be this morning. And so this is an interaction between Jesus and the disciples, and then that's going to build towards the actual conversation that I want to focus on this morning in a little bit. So John 21, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, "'It is the Lord,' he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off.'" Now, I don't know if that means if he's fishing naked or in his underwear, but who hasn't fished in their underwear, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, I have not. I have not fished in my underwear, so I don't know if you guys have just casual observation of human beings. So he wraps his outer garment around him and jumps into the water. "'The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish.'" For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've caught. So Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is after the resurrection. This is after, if you are with us last week, we talked about the road to Emmaus. This is after that interaction on the road to Emmaus. It's after Jesus' appearance in the upper room. If you remember, um, he appeared and then Thomas missed out. He wanted to see the wounds and, and touch his side and all those things, and so he had that experience. This is after all of that. So sometime later, he's appearing to them now for the third time, and so now we get to the conversation that I really want to talk about this morning. John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. So this this interaction is known as Peter's restoration. On its own, it's really kind of a mundane, even awkward conversation here between these two individuals, but there's a lot going on. So I want to look at just some individual parts of it and and kind of shed some light on what's actually being experienced in this conversation. So that first question, Jesus says, Do you love me more than these? He's referring to the other disciples, the other followers that are sitting around with him. And he's referring back to a conversation that they had had in the upper room several days before. And this will will sound familiar to you as well, where they're in the upper room and Jesus is telling them what's about to happen. So in Matthew chapter 26, it says that Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So Peter puts himself on another level, even in the midst of the other disciples, where he said, hey, even if they all fall, even if they're all too weak, even if all of their, even if for all of them their love has limits, mine doesn't. I'm going all the way. I, I will follow you to death No matter how much they love you, if they fall away, I love you more. And so Jesus brings this back up. And in this moment, it's almost like, okay, do you really, Peter? And in a few hours, we find out that no, in fact, he's not on another level. So all we have to do is go to the end of that chapter, to Matthew 26, 69. And it says, now Peter was sitting in the courtyard. Jesus was, he had already been arrested, and now he's on trial. And Peter's just kind of outside that area trying to listen in says that a servant girl came to him. "'You also were with Jesus of Galilee,' she said. <clears throat> "'But he denied it before them all. "'I don't know what you're talking about,' he said. "'Then he went out to the gateway "'where another servant girl saw him "'and said to the people there, "'This guy was with Jesus of Nazareth.' "'He denied it again with an oath. "'I don't know the man.' "'After a little while, those standing there "'went up to Peter and said, "'Surely you are one of them. "'Your accent gives you away.'" "'Because Jesus and the disciples "'were from a certain region,' And similar to the English language, we kind of know, okay, this guy's from the south. This person's from the northeast. You just kind of get a feel for where they're at. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, that before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now keep in mind, in Peter's defense, he's... He's the only one of the 12 that stayed even close enough to the situation that this kind of thing could even happen. So, so you got to credit him for that. But in the end, because he was there, he was in that situation, those conversations happened, it led to absolute devastation for Peter. His Lord was facing execution, and in his first real test, in his first opportunity to experience that pressure on its own, he failed miserably. So we have those conversations kind of ringing in the disciples' ears as Jesus is interacting with them on the lakeshore. But before we go back to that, one one thing that I've always been curious about, I can't prove it. I don't know if it's a sure thing, but it's just kind of interesting where, go back to the resurrection where the women go to the tomb first. In Mark 16, 7, it says that as Jesus is interacting with them at the tomb, he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. He singles him out. Maybe to make sure that he finds out that he's alive, but i got to think, okay, he's with the group, that the word is going to spread. It's going around the whole city. But maybe to make him feel special, maybe to make him feel loved and reassure him because of his, his failing that he had had a couple days earlier. Or part of me wonders, did his betrayal temporarily cost him his role as one of the 12 inner circle disciples? Did, that, did it change his status a little bit? in that relationship not a lost relationship not, not separated from a relationship with Jesus but potentially a consequence of his sin I, I, like I said I, I have no proof of that just kind of one of those things that I wonder but, but between all of those things between Peter's claim that he would love Jesus more than the others between Peter's three times denying him between Peter maybe wondering and feeling uncertain about the relationship all of that is hanging heavy over this conversation on the shore. so I want to go back to John chapter 21 and read it one more time when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these, the rest of these individuals? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, he didn't double down again, right? He didn't say, I love you more than these. He just, just, I, I just love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. will take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. will feed my sheep. Do you love me? It's not clear why this conversation went down this way, right? There's actually two different Greek words for love that are used in this conversation. It's not, and it might go deeper. If you want to dive in a little bit later today, it's actually a really fascinating thing to look at. Why did they choose these different words? It could be for a big reason, it could be just using them interchangeably. But, but even though it's not clear why the different words were used, it's not clear what the status of Peter was as a disciple in that moment, what is clear to me as I read this conversation is that Peter's responses are far more tentative than Jesus' questions. I'm not getting the same energy. I'm not getting the same enthusiasm from Peter as I am from Jesus. Because when Jesus says, do you love me? In verse 17, it says Peter was hurt by the conversation and I don't think he was hurt because Peter thought Jesus didn't believe him. I think he was hurt because it became very clear what Jesus is doing. First question, you love me more than these. I think Peter is probably starting to get the hint like, okay, he's, he's talking about that conversation we had. And then when he gets to the third question, I think it's obvious what Jesus is alluding back to. And Even though it's a necessary, powerful moment for Peter, even though he's currently staring Jesus in the face, it's taking Peter back to those moments back to a moment of failure. Not because Jesus wants him to sit with the guilt, right? He's not trying to mess with them, but, but it's an important process. Back to the moment in the upper room, back to the moment in the garden, back to when Peter had declared that he loved Jesus more than all the others, that he would stay loyal even to death. Back to his denial of Christ in a very public, demonstrative way. And with all that hanging over the conversation, this moment at the lakeshore is a tense moment. It's a sad moment. It's an emotional moment, and yet an important moment and powerful moment. Peter was not only a follower of Jesus, he was so set in his devotion that he was cocky about it and he failed his first big test three times. Ever find yourself in that type of situation? Never doing that again. Moving on from that that's been a weakness in my life it's been a struggle in my life i'm over it i'm done i've got these safeguards i've got these boundaries i got these people helping i'm not going back to that until this new i i have to incorporate this into my life this is going to change me this is god has asked me to add this into my life it's going to make me more healthy it's going to get me on the path to fullness and 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 and, and all the Things that I'm supposed to experience in this life is going to make me the person I'm supposed to be. I'm going to make sure that this is a regular thing in my life until this is where I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is the conversation I'm supposed to have. This is the change I'm supposed to make. This is what I'm supposed to become until. And I think like Peter, we find ourselves in a situation where we have every reason to believe it's over. That's not how Jesus works. For Jesus, as difficult as the conversation was for a person like Peter, for Jesus, the acknowledgement of the failure, the acknowledgement of the weakness, the pain, the falling short, for Jesus, the acknowledgement of the failure is simply the all important first step towards a new beginning. Like dealing with a physical therapist, right? With a messed up thumb. What's wrong? What are we dealing with here? Like your favorite rifle that's consistently shooting low and left. You have to acknowledge what's the issue we're dealing with. The intern that keeps showing up late. Your parents trying to guide you through a tough decision, right? What we find out in those moments is that growth is possible. Change is possible. Restoration is possible. Healing is possible. But it has to include that part of the conversation where Jesus goes, okay, this is what happened. This is where we're at. Something broken here. Something not right. There's something not as it should be. This process isn't fun. This process hurts. But in the midst of it, Jesus says, I know it hurts. I know you're broken, but you're not done. Let me restore to you the fullness that I've created for you. For Jesus, the acknowledgement of the failure, the acknowledgement of the weakness, is just the first step towards a new beginning. And it's hard to look at ourselves that way, right? It's easier to just pretend it's not there, pretend it's not an issue, move on to the next thing, distract ourselves, numb ourselves, just get busy, right? Whatever we need to do to just pretend like everything's okay, but we can't. We can't ignore that part of the process. Band's gonna come and lead us through a couple more songs to close. But I wonder if in this moment, before we sing, maybe there's something that you're carrying as you walked in here this morning. Maybe sin in your life. Maybe the consequences of sin gone by. Maybe you came in this morning carrying the weight of a broken relationship. Maybe you're carrying the weight of trying to do things your way. Maybe trying to do things your own wisdom, in your own strength, by your will. Maybe you're carrying the weight of, of, of a situation where you know the truth, but you're choosing to live apart from it. Maybe, maybe you simply need Jesus I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Let that weight, let that hurt be the very thing that drives you to him. Let him take that failure. Let him take that hurt. Let him take that weakness and give you a new beginning. But it has to start with an acknowledgement that, you know what? There's something missing. There's something broken. Knowing that especially on a day like this, you know, there may be folks who, walking from different backgrounds, maybe that you just at a place where you're not sure where you're at. And so I'd love to give you an opportunity this morning. So if you do me a favor, if everyone could bow their head and close their eyes, just to kind of create a quiet, peaceful moment between each of us and Jesus. There may be someone here this morning who maybe is sitting there realizing, man, I've, man I was here just to check the box. I'm just here because Grandma wanted me here, because Mom wanted us here, just... Also go to church on Easter, and maybe, maybe the Lord is surprising you with something this morning. Maybe he's reaching out to you in a way that you've never experienced before. Maybe you've been ignoring him. Maybe you've never heard this before. But in a moment, I'm going to pray. and I'm going to give you an opportunity to just in the quietness of your heart, reach out to him and confess to him, give your life to him. And as I do that, there may be some here as well who maybe you're more in the position of someone like Peter, where you would say, yeah, I haven't believed in Jesus a long time. I I am a Christian, but maybe I've gotten off track a little bit. I've headed in the opposite direction of where he's called me. I've incorporated some things into my life that just aren't healthy, and it's not what he's called me to. Maybe this is a chance for you today to start fresh and experience some of the restoration that our guy Peter experienced by that lake shore. But in this moment, I encourage you to say, God, I I believe I believe that you came down in human form as Jesus and lived a perfect, sinless life and then gave that life for me. I believe that you died to save me from my sin and I believe that you rose from the grave to give me an opportunity for eternal life. God, I'm broken. I'm sinful. I believe something miss, is missing, and I believe that thing is you. Come into my life. And from this day forward, help me to love you and live for you. Keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just wonder this isn't something we do very often around here, but sometimes an all important first step of faith is not only acknowledgement that something is broken, but maybe an acknowledgement that a, a new step has been taken. I wonder, if no, no one's looking around, is there anyone here who would say, man, today is the first time giving my life to Jesus? Starting over, new beginning. Thank you. I also wonder, is there anyone here maybe you'd be willing to acknowledge, you know, man, Justin, I just want you to pray for me. I'm starting fresh today. I've gotten off track. I've been heading just a few degrees off, and I find myself in a situation where maybe... I hear Jesus calling from the lake shore and I, I need to be all in again. I need, I need to i need to sit with him. I need to have a conversation with him. I need to let him restore me back to who he's called me to be. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, that's where I'm at? Thank you. You can look out now. Huh? We're gonna have a few minutes here where the band is gonna lead us. It's another chance to worship. It's another chance to pour our hearts out and And so as you continue to ponder the things that we can glean from Peter's experience there by the lakeshore, I want to encourage you, this is a moment to take the words of these songs and offer them not just as a song to sing, but as a prayer to pray, as worship to offer before him and express our hearts to him. Let's stand as we sing and I'll pray for us. Father, we just thank you for these moments where we can just look into your word and see... God, it's so hard for us in different contexts and different time and different experiences, but God, at the same time, the emotions are so real. Struggling with our weaknesses, struggling with our failures, struggling with our doubt, and yet, God, I ask that in these last few moments we have together, that you would continue to to touch each heart in a unique way. God, we're all coming in with different things and different burdens and different weights and different concerns different celebrations and different joys. And so, God, you know where each of our hearts are at, and so speak to each one uniquely and individually. Meet us where we're at. God, may we go out of here excited about what you have for us, ready for what you have for us, ready to be obedient to what you have for us, and to show the world what it looks like to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name.